0: Pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago in the Book of Acts, and uh, here go. Acts chapter seven, if you would. Acts chapter seven, and um, it's interesting here. Um, I've kind of thought about what to, what to call this sermon. It's like the history story that led to death, in one regard, it's uh, boldness like you've never seen before. It's a picture of forgiveness like you've never seen exemplified. There's so many pictures in it. So what I've basically have decided to do is recap the story, and I'm not going to say a whole lot. I'm going to let the speaker, the, the the sermon speak for itself. And so as we look at it, I want you to think about several things. Boldness. Would you consider yourself a bold person? Somebody who's not afraid to say what's on your mind. Yeah, I know some of us speak our mind about things that don't matter. <laughs> I'm one of those sometimes. I, I need to like shut my mouth sometimes and, and, you know, feel Peter syndrome, open mouth, insert foot, and just be quiet. Um, there's certain things I don't care if anybody cares what I think about. I mean, because it's just... It's, it's, it's a, it's a non-issue to me. But what about issues that really matter? Issues that really matter, like the gospel. And this is something that has been on my mind for a while because it seems like, why did God put us on this earth? Was it just to have a good life? I mean, is, it, is there is there more to it than that? I mean, really, I mean, we all have this okay life. I mean, it's good life. It's we have these families and then a little bit later we start having kids and some of you have grandkids and, you know, it just gets better and better and, wow, we just hit this pinnacle and it's like, is that is that is that all there's to it? Where do, Where does God fit into all this? And it's a struggle sometimes because we want God to fit into it. We don't know how to make God fit into it. And even when we try to make God fit into it, it doesn't seem to fit into it because we have other agendas. And it's just hard to... Balance it all out. And we're sincere in our desires at what we want. It just doesn't seem to happen. So as I'm thinking about this, it's like Stephen holds nothing back. And he gives them a history story that leads to his own death. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, it's a picture of his boldness. And that he does not care what they think. He's not worried about how they will respond to his history lesson. And in the end, he goes and says, "God, don't hold what they're saying and doing to their own account." Not me, bro. I want guns and firearms and weapons and retaliation, and you know, I'm gonna set them straight, right? I mean, isn't that our flesh, isn't that our nature, to defend ourselves and to do what's right and to, you know, let them know where we stand and to let them know what is the truth and to, you know, make sure that they pay for what they did, what was that was wrong? And isn't that how we think? Anyone else? Am I the only one? That's what I want to do. <coughs> I want people to know that I'm right and they're not. It's really a simple concept. Just agree with me. And pay the price for when you're wrong. You know, <laughs> And I'll help you decide what that price is. Um, there's a lot of things here, but Stephen stood before his accusers. He begins to give them this history lesson. So if you had just the indulge me for a little bit. Let's just begin reading chapter 7, verse 1. It says, and The high priest said, Are these things so? So what is he referring to? Let's go back to the previous chapters, chapter 6, and look at verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Remember, all these things that were taking place on Solomon's portico... All these miracles were taking place, signs and wonders, things were happening. God was on the move. God was doing incredible things. And Stephen was a part of it, and he's full of grace and power. In verse 9, but some men found what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and were arguing with Stephen. And I have to imagine in my mind, they were arguing, Stephen wasn't. He's like, bring it on, boys. Come on, just keep talking, you know, in one ear, out the other. Because look at verse 10. But they were unable to oppose the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So obviously Stephen was just calm, cool, collected, sharing truth, wisdom. The word was just coming out. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. I mean, when they could not use his own words against him, they turn around and solicit men to lie. Say, well, I heard Stephen say this. Wasn't true, but didn't matter. They're going to use it against Stephen, and so they bribed men to tell lies. And verse 12: And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came to him, dragged him away, and brought him to the Sanhedrin. So now he's before the temple police again. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus, the Nazarene, will destroy this place and and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin saw his face like the face of an angel. Let me ask you a question. Does it sound like Stephen was afraid? No. Does it sound like he was worried about what was going to happen to him? No. I mean, he is just there taking it, giving them a a realistic response of calm, cool, collected, and they're lying against him. And verse 7, chapter 7, verse 1, and the high priest said, are these things true? (laughs) He doesn't even know what he's asking. Verse 2, and he said, hear me, brothers and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave our country and your relatives and come into that land that I will show you. So he's beginning this history lesson that has taken them right back to Abraham. And he's beginning them to tell them the story that they had forgotten. Now, let me just for a minute go back to the Old Testament. Now, what was the responsibility of the story of God as far as being shared? Deuteronomy 6, right? Fathers were to tell their children, who were to tell their children, who were to tell their children, and so forth and so on, right? So somewhere along the line, we know that that process stopped. Because when it got to them, they had no clue. They didn't know. So Stephen's got to give them a reminder of their own heritage and their own story. And he brings him right back to Abraham to where God said, I want you to go to a land. You don't even know where I'm going to go, but I want you to go. And when you get there, I'll let you know. That sounds like the vacation we all want to take, right? Uh, Just go. You'll know when you get there because I'll let you know. Well, how am I going to know? I'll let you know. Totally against our culture. against our way of thinking. Verse 3. And he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I'll show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. So Stephen is like, you're living in this land. You're living right here in this land that he settled in. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to seed after him. And when he had no child, but God spoke in this way, that his seed would be so that seed would be sojourners in a foreign land, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. What does that sound like? The captivity that the children of Israel were in under Pharaoh's bondage for 400 years, right? He's given them a history lesson. Verse 7, And I myself will judge the nation to which they will be enslaved. And God said, After that they will come out and serve me in this place. And wasn't that what exactly what God wanted them to do? Isn't that what he said in Exodus? He said, listen, I want to bring you out of this land, out of Pharaoh's bondage. And he goes, I want to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. He says, I want to bless you. I want to give you everything that you ever would need in your life. And Stephen is reminding them of what God had said and what God had done. Verse 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham was the father of Isaac and, and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him. Now think of this. Now they're bringing in Joseph into the picture, right? I mean, what's Joseph have to do with anything? I mean, they we're going back hundreds and hundreds of years as Stephen is giving him this history lesson. And the story just keeps going. And rescued him from all of his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he appointed him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now famine came over all of the Egypt and Canaan, great affliction with it, and our fathers could, not, could find no food. He's reminding them of who God was and how God worked. Now you think if it's just the story in and of itself, Joseph is there, so he's rose to a place of prominence. Big whoop, right? No big deal. But did God have a purpose and a plan? Of course he did. Because without Joseph being there, how would the everything else that unfolded after that happened? Joseph had to be in place. God was following a plan that he had put into place that maybe no one else could see it, but God knew exactly what was going to take place. And that's one thing we have to remember. There's a lot of things that God has on our has in our radar, I mean, or I mean in our future that's not on our radar that he knows all about that he's doing that he's working behind the scenes. And this is one of those things. Joseph is behind the scenes, rising to a place of prominence so that he could help the children of Israel one day. Let's go on and see how it happens. Verse 11. Now famine came over all Egypt, and Canaan in great affliction with it, and his fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there for the the first time. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was... Disclosed to Pharaoh. And then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, seventy five persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and his fathers died. And from there they were removed to Shechem and placed in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamar and Shechem. But as the time of the promise was drawing near, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until another king arose over Egypt who did not know about Joseph. Uh Uh-oh, there's a problem. That's great while Joseph is on the throne, while everybody knows about Joseph. But now there's a new king. There's a new sheriff in town, so to speak. And who's this Joseph guy? We don't care about him anymore. Oh, your relatives? Big deal. But God had him there for a time to do what he wanted to have done. Look at verse 19. It was he who deceitfully took advantage of our family and mistreated our father's who set their infants outside so that they would not survive. I mean, he's got an agenda too. Only his agenda agenda is to destroy. It was at this time that Moses was born, so now Moses is on the scene. I mean, you would think that this Sanhedrin council would know all this, right? I mean, they're religious. They're spiritual, so to speak, in the eyes of the people. And yet, Stephen has given them a history lesson And they don't even know what's going on. So now Moses is on the scene, verse 20. And so, of course, this time Moses was born, he was lovely in the sight of God. He was nurtured for three months in his father's home. And after he had been set aside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in word and in deed. Can you imagine this just for a moment? Just in your imagination, think about this. Here's a baby born. His own mother, during a time frame when the boys were being destroyed, his own mother got to nurse him, be in the palace of the king, being educated as a child of a king, so to speak. I mean, look at this. He was powerful in word. So I mean he was given a place of prominence? He was given a place of position. He was powerful in word and deed. What he said happened, but when he was approaching the age of 40, and you remember the, the time frame, 40 years in the palace, 40 years of wandering, 40 years and so forth. So he's in his first 40 years here in the palace, but when he was approaching the age of 40, he entered his heart, or it entered his heart to visit his brothers, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took justice for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Uh-oh. I mean, did anybody see this? I mean, he thought nobody saw, right? Remember the story? He thought nobody saw this. And he supposed that his brothers understood that God was granting them salvation through him. But they didn't understand. I mean, he thought he was doing them a favor. I'm going to kill this guy. I'm doing you a favor. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you treating one another unjustly? But the one who was treating his neighbor unjustly pushed him, away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Did you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Somebody saw me. I didn't think anybody saw me, but somebody saw me. What does God's Word tell us? Be sure your sins will find you out. He can't hide anything. And by the way, God's Word also tells us in Proverbs that he that covereth a matter shall not prosper. It's in the open. All things are naked. Hebrews 4, everything's naked and open before God with whom we have to do. Psalm 139, no matter where you go, God is there. He can't hide what he did. Everyone knows it. But not only did God know it, man knew it. Verse 29. At this remark, Moses fled and became a sojourner in the land of Midian where he was the father of two sons. And look at verse 30. And after 40 years had passed, so there's first 40 years in the palace and around the Egyptian uh, kingdom, and now another 40 years of running and, and, and hiding and having, starting a new family and hiding out. So 40 years had passed, and the angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush, and when Moses saw it, he was marveling at the sight. And as he approached, he took, Look uh, look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and would not dare to look. But the Lord said to him, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and have heard their groans, and I have come down to deliver them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. And Moses, whom they disowned, saying who made you a ruler and a judge is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So God had a plan for Moses, didn't he? Stephen is letting them know that, wait a minute, you have forgotten your own history. Do you remember how you got here, this land that you're living in? Let let me tell you a story. There's this Joseph, and then there's Moses. He continues to tell them the story. Moses? Who's this guy? <clears throat> Verse 36. This man led them out, doing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This Moses, who said, said to the sons of Israel, God will raise you, raise you up for a prophet, like from him from your brothers. This is the one who, in the congregation in the wilderness, was with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received living oracles, to pass on to you. I mean, think about this. The whole story. He's reminding them of how they got their Ten Commandments. He's reminding them of how they got to this point in time. This is the one who in the congregation of wilderness was with the angel. who was speaking. gets, gets the oracles. Verse 39. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. Remember the story? What happened when they got to the to the Red Sea? Oh, we can't go any further. Would to God we would have just stayed back in Egypt, right? Was it really better back in Egypt? No. But they were walking by sight rather than by faith, right? And so they're thinking, that, oh, we're doomed. We're getting to the Red Sea. we got no place to go. We're, we're doomed. We're going to die. And they wanted to go back, verse 39. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient but rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. You know, at that moment, he says, here's a here's a pivotal point in the story, and here's the, here's the pivotal point. You made a conscious decision to turn back to Egypt. Was it just that they went back to Egypt? No. They went back to the gods of Egypt. They went back to the culture of Egypt. They went back to the day-to-day living of Egypt. They went back to the false religion of Egypt. They had embraced Egypt more than they were willing to embrace God. Because in their minds, this was futile. We've gotten to a place where we can't go any further. We're doomed. Anybody ever felt like that? I might as well just go back because i got nowhere else to go. That's what they did. But look at verse 40. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For the for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, would you not know what has become of him? I mean, they don't. Just just curiosity. How many think they lost confidence in Moses? Pretty much, they're like this guy. We don't know what's going on with him. He led us straight to the Red Sea so we could die. <clears throat> So we're going to come up with our own God. Verse 41. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. I mean, they were. I mean, they make this golden calf. They're excited about it. They're dancing and on around it. anybody ever seen the movie? That's how I know they did this. Um, just kidding. Uh, but they're dancing and hooplaing around this around this thing. And next thing you know, they're just, you know, having a time of their life around, and they're just look how beautiful this calf is. This calf is gorgeous, pure gold, so awesome. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you present me with the slain beast and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the God of Ramphah? And the images which you made to worship, I will also remove you beyond Babylon. He says, you're going to pay for this. Oh, all of a sudden that golden calf doesn't look so appealing. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it with Joshua when they disposed, or dispossessed the nations whom God drove up before the fathers until the time of David. David found favor in the sight of God. So now Moses is there. Now David's on the scene. I mean, this guy is giving them, he's not holding back any of the key players. Can you imagine the knowledge that Stephen had? I'm reading it. You're following along with me. Stephen is quoting it. He's giving them this lesson. And now he's coming into the life of David. David found favor in the sight of God and asked him that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Solomon built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my rest? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You men, I mean, this is where it gets real, right here. Stephen has given them this entire history lesson of how they ended up in this spot. He tells them the whole story of Joseph and the story of Moses and the story of David and the story of Solomon. And all of a sudden, he's looking right at the Sanhedrin council. 51. I'm sorry, 54. Now when they heard this, I'm sorry, 51. You men... Stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Stop right there for a minute. Sanhedrin. They were the authoritative council. They had power. Maybe not legitimate power. Definitely not God-given power. But from a human perspective, power. Remember, it was the Sanhedrin council who threw him in jail. It was the Sanhedrin council who said, bring him back out. The Sanhedrin council were like the temple guards and police, so to speak, who had a little bit of religiosity with them. And he looks right at them and says, you're a bunch of stiff-necked people who don't even know what God has done to get you here. Question. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. How do you think they took that? It's like looking at somebody who is claiming to be spiritual and saying, you're not spiritual. Give me a break. (laughs) Right. Offensive? I dare say so. I dare say that they're a little bit upset, frustrated with Stephen. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and heartened ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And which one of the prophets did our fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Ooh, ouch. He's holding nothing back. You received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not observe it. I mean, the accusations are just flowing. Your stiff-necked, uncircumcised heart and ears you resist the Holy Spirit. I mean, bottom line is you're persecuting those who are doing what's right. You receive the law and don't observe it yourself, and yet you hold it as sacred. Question. Just just the question. Do you think that this description fits a lot of people in churches across America today? Got my Bible, I got my law, I got it. Woo! I'm good but yet don't read it, apply it, hold it dear. Know a lot, but don't practice. The Holy Spirit's leading to do things like, no, someone else will take care of it. Shun the responsibility and obedience to someone else who may be more gifted, more talented, more skilled. Someone else will do it. Question, let's just be honest with ourselves. Does it really sound that much different from today in some regards it really doesn't so I don't want to get too harsh on the Sanhedrin council because I think we kind of model it a little bit we don't want to we certainly it's not in our heart to do that but it happens and when we get upset when people confront us about it well, pastor thinks that we're a bunch of sinners and hypocrites no I put myself in the same boat Paul wants to argue that he is chiefest of sinners. I will argue that point. Talk to my family. As much as I want to do what's right, as much as I want to be holy, as much as I want to think righteously, I know my own flesh. And if you're honest, you should too. Know your own flesh. How many of us have said, Lord, I'll never have that thought again. And two minutes later, you're thinking it. God, I'll never say that again. And you say it. I'll never look at that again, and you look at it. I'll never be angry again, and you get angry. I'll never have that wrong thought towards that person, and you have a wrong thought towards that person the next minute. If you're honest with yourself, you should argue the same point with Paul. Our desire is that we want to do what's right. We want to be holy. We want to think righteously. We want to do what's good before the eyes of God. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're sinful. And our flesh is wicked. More than we care to admit. I don't want to admit it. I want everyone to think I'm a nice guy. I want everyone to think that I read my Bible eight hours a day. Not true. I want everybody to think that I'm above above board in everything. That's my desire. That's what I strive for. But I find myself so much like these people that we read about. Because our flesh is wickedly strong. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're better than we are. He says, you're stiff-necked. How many times has God asked you to do something and you said no? You're stiff-necked. How many times have you rejected the Holy Spirit's leading? Disobedient." How many times have you held in regard, I'm a believer and I have the Word of God, and yet I don't follow it as I ought. He said verse 53, you receive the laws ordained by angels, yet you don't observe it. We know this is from God, right? It's His Word to us. It's how He talks to us, and how He guides us and leads us, and, 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 and we're to follow it, and yet we leave it on the shelf some days. And don't even look at it. Look at the last part of the story here. Verse 54. Now when they heard this, like many of us, they became furious in their hearts and they began gnashing their teeth at him. They say, well, I'm not doing the gnashing teeth part. That's good. But how many of us get upset when the preacher says, we need to do a better job. We need to work on this. We need to respond to the Holy Spirit in this area. God has asked us to do this as a church and we're not doing it. We're disobedient. And we get furious because, well, we don't want to think that's us. That's that church. That's those people. Not us. We're better than that. But being full of the Holy Spirit, now who is this? Stephen. Stephen, being full of the Spirit, He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up as the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But crying out with a loud voice, they covered their ears and rushed at him with one accord. Get this in your minds for a minute. Just close your eyes for a minute. Everyone close your eyes. Just close your eyes and listen to this for a minute. Stephen is telling them what he is observing. And all of a sudden, they cover their ears because they don't want to hear what Stephen has to say. And everybody begins to run directly at Stephen. Everybody begins to just attack him. Keep that in your mind for a minute. Stephen is being attacked. Because they don't like what they're hearing. Crying out with a loud voice, they covered their ears and rushed at him with one accord. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witness laid aside their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Oh, here's another man coming into the picture. Now look up this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. They rushed at him. They drove him, they chased him out of the city, and then they stoned him to death. In the crowd there's a man named Saul. Ooh. Think about this. Can you imagine witnessing this? Sad. Verse fifty nine, they were they went on stoning Stephen as he was calling out and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Look at verse 60. This is a key verse. Then, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wait a minute. How many of us are going to have that prayer? I'm just going to be honest. I ain't that spiritual. I'd like to think that I am, but I'm not. I'm just telling you, just in case there's any wondering, I'm not that spiritual. I want guns at this point. I want swords. I want weapons of any sort. Cause if I gotta die, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. I like guns. I like weapons. I'm gonna take a few with me if I gotta go. Stephen didn't even try. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. And God Don't lay this sin and what they're doing. They're stoning me. Don't lay it against them. They don't know any better. Wow, what a powerful lesson of forgiveness, humility, and just flat out, I mean, think about this. I I, want to say in my flesh, Stephen's just being naive. Stephen, wake up, dude. They know what they're doing. No, they don't. They're unsafe people who don't know Jesus. They're religious. They hold to the law, but they don't know Jesus. Question, is that not the world we live in? Someone tell me I'm wrong. We live in a world that has religion, but doesn't know Jesus. And we need to understand that that's who they are. I am not going to expect an unsaved person to act like a Christian. I'm not going to expect an unsaved person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus to act, think, and respond like Jesus would. But that's what we want. And we get all kinds of upset when they don't. They don't know any better. Why would we have that expectation of them? They need Jesus, right? Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep, he died. He gave his life <laughs> for giving them a story, a history lesson of their own past. And in doing so, did it with humility And grace. And of no fault of his own. Pleaded for them. Something that's not normal. Something that most of us would never do. But I think it's an incredible picture of humility and forgiveness. And understanding the world that he lived in. I don't know how we need to completely apply this to every one of us. But I think there's some general things I think all of us can look at. If somewhere along the line, as I said in the beginning, Deuteronomy 6 was cast out aside, it was just put outside. Us telling our children who will tell their children who will tell their children of who God is. We need to get back to living out God in our families. If you want to change the world? Start with your family. So well my kids are out of the house now start with your grandkids live it out be an example teach truth share truth live it out number two know what God has done don't forget it if God has done something significant in your life don't forget that You've got to remember what God has done so that you can share it. And when tough times come, you remember God did it before, He'll do it again. Number three, when the world comes against you and the opposition shows their ugly face, understand who they are. It's the unsaved world. They're not going to understand. And I think number four, pray for them as Stephen did. As he looked up to the Lord, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold this sin against him." He was praying for his enemies. I'm not good at that one. I'm just, I'm not good at that one. You don't agree? This your dumb fault. You have the right to be wrong. But honestly, we should be praying for them, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I think those are four things that every one of us can apply. Anybody disagree? Those are things that we need to learn to do every day in our lives starting today. What a story. I I can't wait to get into next week. I love it. Look at verse uh, 58 at the end there. just real quick. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. Why would they do that? He's one of the witnesses here. He's observed what's taking place. Um, I I got some ideas here, but we'll get into the story next week. Chapter 8. Saul persecutes the church has gotten a little bit of a taste of let's, let's go after the righteous. Man, how this world needs prayer. My, how we need to stand up for what's right. Now more than ever. Amen? Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we just read simply Scripture today. We simply read your word. Line by line. And we heard a story, a history lesson from the mouth of Stephen to the Sanhedrin Council. We simply were reminded of what you have done. How you worked in the life of Joseph and preserved him so that he could take care of his family and the children of Israel and then how Moses came on the scene and simply was in the 40 years in the palace and 40 years in on the run, and then 40 years leading out. And how you used him, despite his flaws. And then a young man named David, who was not perfect, yet a man after your own heart. And so on. And as Stephen is reminding them of how they got there, their stiff neck. God, may may that never be us. As much as we don't want to think it could be us, I pray that it would not be us. But that we would learn from these stories. That we would, uh, Lord, be patient with the world around us and pray for them. Because they don't understand. Because they are going to treat us differently. And yet we need to have the mind of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us this day to have your mind to respond as you would have us to respond Lord may we practice this aspect of forgiveness in our own lives to those who may be enemies maybe they're not enemies but maybe they're just they disagree with us and they don't appreciate what we stand for but Lord how we should pray for them so Lord work in our hearts as heads are bowed and eyes are closed Just for a moment. Every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. Say this morning God's convicted you. Maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor, I need to respond differently. I need to have a different outlook. I need to have a different mindset. I need to have the mind of Christ, the mind of Stephen. Learn from him. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. 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 All over the back, the side, the front. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I I need to have a different mindset. I need to respond differently to these things that happen. Yes, yes. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, we know that there are circumstances in our life, Lord, that we would not choose, that we would not pick, or that you allow for us to learn from. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to Um, Lord respond as you would have us to respond in all these areas Lord may we respond with the mind of Christ Lord may we respond to response to the Holy Spirit's working in us Lord, Lord I pray that you'd be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning Lord Lord that you'd allow them to walk in victory Lord that you'd allow them to see your hand at work in their lives and Lord I pray that you'd help all of us Pray for those who don't understand us. Pray for those who yet need to know you, that they would come to that saving knowledge of you, Lord, and that you do a work in their lives. So be with each of us, Lord, we we lift our hand and our hearts to you, Lord, that you would show yourself strong in and through us. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.